Well, let's grab our Bibles this evening, turn them, if you would, to Luke chapter number four, as we're continuing our series on the sufferings of Jesus. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the suffering of temptation, the suffering of temptation. We're going to be in Luke chapter four. We're going to begin reading with verse number one tonight. And if you found your place there and you're physically able to stand, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the word of God? Luke chapter 4, we'll begin here with verse number 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written... That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine." And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the words of Scripture. We're thankful for the truth that they share with us and the encouragement that they give us, the conviction that it brings to our heart and Lord, the way it shares your love and your connection with us. We're thankful, God, that you are a God that is not distant or detached from us, but you condescended to men, you became a man, you dwelt among us, you took on yourself the form of a servant, you endured the pain and anguish and uh, disgust and shame of sin upon yourself. So, Lord, we can look at you and know that you care about us that you know what it means to go through suffering. And God, I pray that you'd help us to also be strong as we suffer here in this broken, sinful, and dark world. That God, you would give us your hope, that you would give us your truth, that you would help us to overcome as you have called us overcomers in you. Lord, we're glad that we are more than conquerors. And this is because of the power of the indwelling spirit of God that you've given to us. So Lord, Help us to connect with the truths that we learned tonight and help us to walk faithfully for you. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we've entered into this series examining the sufferings of Jesus, and we looked at, first of all, the overarching theme of Jesus becoming man. We looked at the fact that we don't have a high priest who is detached from our sufferings, but he was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. So we cannot look at Jesus and say, you don't know what I'm going through. How many of you understand Jesus went through what we're going through? He's been here in person. He is 
to use a term, walked in our shoes, and he did so without sin. So we looked at the fact that we have this unique capacity to be able to have this close and intimate relationship with him as we endure the sufferings that we're going through. How many for you, it's helpful when you're suffering in a specific way to sometimes be able to talk with somebody who can encourage you that's been through what you've been through? And I hope it's helpful for you to understand that Jesus is somebody you can go to, that, that Jesus is someone you can confide in, that Jesus is someone that you can share your feelings with. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows your difficulty. He knows the temptation that you deal with every single day. Now, when we tend to think of the sufferings of Jesus, we primarily think of the sufferings of his crucifixion. We think of the beatings and we think of the thorns that were rammed into his scalp. We, we think of the mockings and we think of the jeering of the crowd. Uh, we think of the nails that were driven through his hands and his feet. We think of the, 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 just the, the extreme difficulty of his crucifixion. But we also then need to realize that, that Jesus suffered in many other ways throughout his ministry. And one of the ways that he suffered was in this area of temptation. Now, you might not think of temptation as suffering, but just, just think with me for a moment. How many of you will be glad when you do not have to endure temptation anymore? How many of you are glad when you won't have to wake up and battle your own flesh anymore? How many of you will be glad when you'll be in heaven with Jesus and you won't have to endure the temptations of this world any longer? Hey, make no mistake about it. Temptation is a form of suffering that we go through in this world today. It's a battle that we face every single day that we wake up. The Bible tells us that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The battle rages every single day. And we need to understand that Jesus also went through a time of temptation. It's described to us here in Luke chapter number 4. And as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, there's some key things that I think will be a help and an encouragement and a blessing to us as we consider the suffering of Christ's temptation. It will help us in our time of temptation. It will help us to process it, to deal with it, and to know how to respond in the Spirit of God. And I hope tonight, I hope tonight you're getting victory in your life. I hope tonight that in the moments and times that you're tempted and tried here in this world, I hope that you're experiencing victory. But if there's an area that you're not experiencing victory, I believe you can be helped tonight. I believe God will give you some things that you can grab onto that will be a blessing to you as we go through these times of suffering, of temptation. First of all, I want us to notice a passage of Scripture that I think helps us with understanding the threefold manner of temptation. This has been fairly consistent all throughout human history. Notice with me, if you would, as it's described to us in 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading with verse 15. The verses are also on the screen. Notice what Scripture says here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and notice these things, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I believe that these are the threefold avenues of temptation in our life as people. We understand this. We understand this from the passage we just read. 
One of the temptations that the devil levies toward Jesus Christ is that if Jesus will worship him, then the devil will turn over all of the power of all of the nations to Jesus because the devil says that that power has been put in my charge and I will give it to whomever I will give it to. So we understand that Satan has been given authority in this world and that Satan uses this world as a conduit for snares and devices that will entrap and will ensnare us. Hey, the whole world is a template for the devil to appeal to our flesh, to appeal to the lust of our eyes, to appeal to our pride. And so this is the threefold avenue of temptation that we all go through as human beings in this world. And I believe it's the threefold avenue of temptation that Jesus Christ went through in this passage of Scripture that we're reading in Luke tonight. Notice again what they are. The lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is why it's so important. Listen to me. Listen to me, especially parents. Would you listen to me just for a moment? Listen to your pastor just for a moment tonight. Do not... Fall in love with the world. Do not do it. Don't give your heart to the world. Don't let the world in your front door. Don't cozy up to it. Don't put it on display for your children. Don't give them a taste for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that the world is all filled up with. Hey, our affections are very, very important. Paul writes in Colossians chapter number 3, verses 1 through 4, he says that we are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We need to be careful with where we put our heart. We need to be careful with what we fall in love with. And if you develop a taste for the world in your life personally, If you develop a taste for the world in your home, make no mistake about it, the devil is sly and he's cunning. And have we learned nothing from human history? Have we learned nothing from Scripture to know that we don't stand a chance if we give our heart over to the world? Let me plead with you as your pastor tonight. Don't fall in love with the world. Fall in love with your Savior. Fall in love with your wonderful God who has provided a way for you to be saved from your sin and to have new life in him. I see it far too often. It breaks my heart as a pastor to watch people and families disintegrate as they fall in love with the world and they're no longer in church and they're no longer concerned with the things of God and they're no longer passionate about their worship And they're no longer passionate about their walk with the Lord. And they're no longer witnesses for him because they've fallen so in love with the world that they talk more about the world than talking about God. How many of you understand what you fall in love with you talk about? That's a good understanding of where your love barometer is. What you fall in love with you talk about. Hey, I remember when my wife and I first got together and she was the only thing I could talk about with anybody. She still is, by the way. I just want to cover that point real quick. Don't want to speak in the past tense on that one. But you'll remember about that. Oh, you know, the person that you love, man, this and that, and this is what they're doing, and this is who they are, and 
oh man, I got this love letter from them and look what she said. No, you can't look at what she said. That's for me, okay? And man, you're just enthralled and you talk about it. You talk about your time out together and you talk about what you've done together and you talk about your walk together and you talk about the dinners you have together. And man, you're just consumed with that which you love. Well, what do you talk about tonight? Are you in love with Jesus? Do you talk about what he's done in your life? Do you talk about how he saved your soul? Are you a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is everything you talk about something worldly? Now, that's fine. It's hunting season. Talk about hunting. That's fine. Talk about how Jesus allowed you to shoot that great big buck, okay? So we're Jesus in there. But, but uh, there's sports, and we can have fun talking about some of the things that we enjoy in this world. But man, when our conversation is filled up with nothing but worldliness, that ought to put some red flags up in our life. Why can't we talk about Jesus? Why do we have no praise on our lips ready to go? Why do we have no testimony about what God's doing in our life? Why do we have no conversation about where our devotions are taking us this week? Hey, listen, no wonder why our children... Hey, don't blame the churches for the reason that our children aren't continuing to stick with church. Where's the conversation in the home about God? Well, pastor, we don't know how to talk about God in our home. Then come over to our house and we'll show you. Why shouldn't we talk about God? Do we love Him tonight? Are we passionate about Him tonight? Hey, listen, we don't understand. When we're not in love with God, then we are in love with the world. There's no neutrality here. It's not like you can be neutral in your love. You're giving your heart over to something. And if you're giving your heart over to the world, then you're basically opening the front door of your heart for Satan to have his way in temptation in your life. You've got to be careful about that. Love not the world. Why? Because the devil positions the world as a conduit for this threefold avenue of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now let's look at our passage tonight and see this in our example, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his suffering of temptation. First of all, let's look at the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. And notice with me, if you would, here in our text passage, Luke chapter 4. Notice again, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying... It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So we find this first avenue of temptation, the lust of the flesh. And I want us to notice some things about this. This was a time when Jesus was really launching into his earthly ministry. And it was not yet time for Jesus to really fully reveal himself in all of his glory for who he was. Now, he was parsing out, little by little, some understanding of his ministry. He was gathering or will be gathering himself together, his disciples. He will be now launching out into public ministry. But this time of temptation was a time where he was engaged in really communion with his father. He was really in the position to now fulfill that which the father God had sent him to do. We find what his mission was and. Philippians chapter number 2. We find that he obeyed the will of the Father 
to come in the form of man, and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But here Jesus is in this wilderness, and he is now being tempted by Satan, and he's fasting. He's not eating. And you know, many times this is when we are most prone to fall to the temptation of the lust of the flesh. I find this to be the case in my own life. Of course, I'm in very active, full-time ministry. And it's very easy to extend yourself into areas of serving people, uh, lay people. It's the same thing. You can get involved in certain ministry. You can put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. You can exhaust yourself. You can deprive yourself. You can sacrifice of yourself. And there's something about our flesh that wants a reward. How many of you have felt that before? There's something about our flesh that wants a reward. And if we're not careful, we can begin to succumb to the idea or the temptation that we need to gratify our flesh. By the way, how many of you understand that every day our flesh still wakes up with us? In fact, the Apostle Paul had to say this, I die daily, right? We understand that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This happens on a daily basis. And so when we wake up, we have that battle already raging in our life. And if you are extending yourself and you are active in ministry and you are doing this, that, and the other thing, many times what can take place in our life is we feel that we deserve something. We feel that we can let our guard down. We feel like, well, I can grab onto that and I can take advantage of that. And boy, I'll excuse it because I'm working so hard for Jesus. I just need a little bit of this. And we've got to be very careful about that. The lust of the flesh is a real avenue for temptation. And here we find that as Jesus is fasting, he is tempted because he's hungry. And we might think to ourselves, well, is this a real temptation? I mean, this is Jesus. So none of this really counts. It's just an example. It's just an allegory. It's just an analogy. No, he became flesh and dwelt among us. This hunger isn't fake hunger. He felt real hunger. By the way, how many of you have felt real hunger before? And hunger, man, it it really messes with you. How many of you, you get moody when you get hungry? You get angry. I've seen some of you look at me when I go a little too long on Sunday morning. In fact, we've developed a whole term, a whole new vocabulary that surrounds this idea of being hungry and how it affects your mood. We call it what? We all know it because we are, aren't we? We're hangry. Say, Pastor, I'm getting a little hangry right now. Why don't you wrap this thing up? I need dinner. We know what it means to feel these things. And man, when we're serving, when we're sacrificing, when we're fasting, when we're witnessing, when we're planning, when we're preparing, when we're teaching, when we're instructing, when we are serving others and serving God, we can come sometimes to a point in our life where the devil can throw out something to us and say, hey, you deserve a break. You deserve this. Hey, why don't you take advantage of this over here? And how many of you know there's been many even ministry leaders who put their hand in cookie jars and taken advantage of people and done different things and in, in very inappropriate ways because they let their guard down. They took advantage of the temptation of the flesh and it's destroyed their life. It's destroyed their family. It's destroyed their ministry. And that happens with individuals. That happens with us if we don't have our heart in the right place. And we need to be careful in this area of this temptation of the lust of the flesh. Hey, the devil knows what you like. The devil knows what your flesh hungers for. Don't you remember how he tempted Eve in the garden? Look, look at that fruit. Look at how it's pleasant to the eyes. Look, look, look at how, boy, I bet that tastes good. I mean, think about it. 
they could eat of any other fruit but that one. Don't you think they were curious about maybe how that one tasted? And here's the devil. Look at that right there. Take advantage of that right there. I don't think God really meant you'll surely die. And we fall for the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Jesus was tempted by Satan to turn the stone into bread. Now, we might think, well, what kind of sin is that? He was hungry. Turn the stone to bread. Why is that some great infraction? Well, it's a great infraction because it was not yet time for him to perform such a miracle. Now, how many of you know later on in his ministry, he would take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people at once? But you'll remember on an occasion when Jesus was there at a wedding feast where there was some timing that was involved in the revelation of these, these miracles and the time that he was going to present himself as the one who could perform these miracles to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. And by the way, the only reason why Jesus performed these miracles was to fulfill that was, was foretold, to show that he was the Messiah. And it wasn't time for him to perform this type of miracle. It wasn't time for him in his own flesh to desire to do his own will. He says here, hey, it's not by bread alone that we're to live in. It's by every word of God. And how many of you know today we need to pay attention to the word of God? We don't live by our own whims or our own desires. So many people are navigating their life based upon how they feel about things. Will I feel this? Will I feel that? And if you want to put Christian lingo to it, they'll say, I prayed about this. I prayed about that. <laughs> hey, if you prayed about it, then you'd know whether or not it's in God's word to do. How many of you understand to say the phrase, I prayed about it, doesn't sprinkle magic Christian dust on our activities. I'm all for praying about stuff. I'm all for seeking God's will about stuff. But how many of you understand he's given us pretty good guidance on what we should do right here in his word? And so we don't live by the desires and hungers of the flesh alone. Bread alone is not what we feast on, but by every word of God. And we need his word to guide us. And his spirit and his word will guide us. The lust of the flesh, this is an avenue of temptation that we see that the devil uses. Another avenue of temptation that we see in this passage of Scripture is the lust of the eyes. Notice with me as we continue in verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Boy, I just want us for a moment, theologically speaking, to grasp really the vast nature of the influence of Satan in this world. He was able to take Jesus up into a high place and at one time, at one moment of time, revealed to him all of the different kingdoms of the world. How many of you understand that was the first panoramic television set right there, okay? I mean, all at once, seeing the different kingdoms of the world. And he's saying, hey, I will give this to you if you will worship me. What was he doing? He was appealing to the lust of the eyes. How many of you know that's a huge conduit that Satan uses in our world today? We are so commercialized, you know. I mean, we view everything through these eye gates and, and we process it and we lust for it and we become covetous about it and we're tempted by it because we look at it. How many of you understand that we need to guard our eyes and guard our hearts? The psalmist David wrote this, I will not set any wicked thing before my eyes. Hey guys, it'd be good to go ahead and tack that verse right, right to your computer. 
Maybe etch it on the case of your cell phone. How many of you know our world is rampant with wanting to appeal to our eyes today? I'm not going to go on a tangent about this, okay? I hope I'm not going to go on a tangent about this. If we can be appealed to by the eye gate, how many of you understand that it's important? Now, I understand that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he does. How many of you believe that that verse doesn't mean he doesn't see what we look like on the outside? It's not what that verse means. He doesn't ignore the outward appearance. He just is able to see even deeper, and he sees the heart, okay? But we need to be careful about our modesty. And I'm not talking about just ladies here. I'm talking about men and women. We need to be careful about our modesty. We need to be careful about how we dress and how we appear. We need to be careful about if we're portraying the holiness and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have it in our understanding that, that one of the ways that the devil uses to appeal is through the eye gate. How many of you understand that our world is extremely sexualized today? And the same people who operate the Me Too movements or the faux representation of wanting to defend uh, the rights of women, these are the same people that are in cohorts with people who are producing films and people who are putting all kinds of trash on TV and people who are putting all kinds of trash in movies and people who are prolific in the, the adult film industries. We need to be very careful about what we expose our eyes to. The devil will get our eyes on other people's things. Try to develop a covetous, discontented heart within us. We need to be careful about that. What did he do? He showed Jesus all of the kingdoms. Of the world. Look at this. I can give you this. Look at this. I can give you this. Look at this. I can give you this. The Bible tells us this. Our eye affects our heart. What we dwell on with our eyes is a lot of times what formulates the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need to be very careful about that. We see that the devil uses the avenue of the lust of the eyes as he tempts us. Notice as we continue here in our passage, we see also the pride of life. Notice, if you would, with me. Verse number eight, and Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This final avenue of temptation, he appeals to the pride of life. Satan, in a sense, says, Jesus, you know who you are. You aren't this little poor baby that came in a manger. You aren't some poor carpenter barely making ends meet. You're not some guy without an education swinging a hammer. This isn't who you are. I've showed you the kingdoms of the world, and even that doesn't suffice for who you are, Jesus. You know who you are, and right now I'm telling you, go ahead and call upon all your power and reveal yourself for who you are. And make no mistake about it, Jesus knew what his ministry would entail. How many of you understand Jesus spent time in the garden weeping over what his ministry would entail? He knew what his ministry would entail. 
He knew that he would endure all kinds of suffering. He knew that ultimately he would be betrayed and he would be taken to the cross and he would be brutally treated. And Satan is appealing to this pride of life. You know who you are. Just reveal it right now. Call on all the power that you have. You know, that's what Satan tries to do today. He tries to appeal to who we are. Hey, we're something. Get all involved in your pride about who you are. How many of you know we live in a world that's full of pride today? A a world that's full of me first today. A world where even Christians today are abandoning the sacrificial path of serving God because they're so involved with who they are and what they can do and how they can be seen and how they can enjoy their life. So there's this appeal to the pride of life. And and by the way, isn't there something in all of our flesh that desires to be first and to be noticed and to have some kind of praise and adoration and glory? But it was not time for Jesus to produce this kingdom here on earth. He came first of all, to be the sacrifice for our sin. But how many of you know one day he will come on a white horse? He will come with the angels and saints with him. He will come in all of his glory. But it wasn't the time for that yet. And hey, you know what our biggest problem is many times in in our sinfulness is it's our pride and jumping ahead of God's timing and wanting to claim the glory for ourselves. How many people in the Old Testament fell to their own pride? You think of King Saul. You think of King David at moments in his life. You think of so many who fell to this appeal to the pride of life. This is an avenue through which the devil will use to tempt us. So we've seen this evening this temptation that Jesus went through. And we can identify with it. We can connect with it. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And by the way, how many of you are glad he was without sin? Because since he was out without sin, now we are also without sin if we trust him as our Lord and Savior. Because how many of you are glad he washes all of our sin away? And we are righteous in him. But I think that we can learn tonight some ways that we can have victory over temptation. That's what I want to focus on here just for a few more minutes. How then can we have victory over temptation? We see that Jesus was tempted yet without sin. So what did he do? Well, I want us to notice, first of all, his relationship with the Spirit of God. Notice with me in verse number one again of Luke chapter number four. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, this is the key to overcoming temptation in your life. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. This is how we overcome temptation. The Bible tells us, quench not the Spirit. So many times we quench the Spirit in our life and it keeps us from really being engaged and walking in the Spirit so we yield to the lusts of the flesh. Notice what else was taking place with Jesus. He was full of the Holy Ghost, but also he was led by the Spirit. Be full of the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. 
hey, it does no good to be full of the Spirit and then be led by your feelings and be led by worldly advice and be led by the whims of your own heart. Hey, be led by the Spirit. Have some faith. Have some trust that God actually knows what he's talking about in Scripture. Have some trust that you can obey him and you will produce fruit out of your life. Have some trust that if you parent the way he tells you to parent, if you husband or wife the way he shows us to husband or wife, the way that we have our relationships, the way that we work in the workforce, all of these things are mentioned in Scripture. And we need to have faith that if we'll walk in the Spirit, if we'll be led by the Spirit, he'll produce out of our life the good fruit that comes from walking in the Spirit of God. The whole key to knowing if you're walking in the Spirit and if you're full of the Spirit is, are you producing fruit? It's called the fruit of the Spirit in Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is very concrete. It's very definitive. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's gentleness. It's goodness. It's meekness. It's faith. It's temperance. And all of these things will keep us from falling into the traps and the snares of temptation. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And I want us to get this. He knew and he used the Word of God. Do you want to know why many Christians fall into temptation? Is because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus had a verse. Satan, you can't tempt me with this bread or turning this stone into bread because I know this from the Father. I know this from the Word of God because I am the Word of God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, by the will of God. He even told this to his disciples in John chapter number four. The disciples come back from getting some lunch and Jesus has just led the woman to the well to an understanding that he was the Messiah And the disciples say, hey, have you eaten anything? And he says, my meat, my meat isn't this stone I turn into bread. It isn't the food you got for lunch. My meat is to do the will of the Father that sent me. And you can't know God's will and you can't be protected from temptation if you don't know the word of God. Why do you think the psalmist David wrote, I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him? And some of you know a whole lot more information about the world than you know information about the Word of God. And so when Satan comes, you justify your behavior because you're quoting some worldly philosophy or you're living by some worldly example instead of saying, no, this is what Scripture says and I'm going to rebuke this temptation with the truth of Scripture. Parents, it's dangerous in your home for you to not know the Word of God and share it practically with your children. To lead them through life scenarios and say, hey, when you're doing this situation, here's a verse for this. If you find yourself in this situation, here's some truth from scripture for this. And you learn this and you memorize this and you quote this. Pastor, do you do this with your children? I am so glad that in our home, I have a very dedicated wife who part of our curriculum at home is teaching them for at least an hour and a half every morning the word of God practically about how situationally they can know scripture, use it in their life, and get through temptation because I don't want my children destroyed by the world. 
And if you're allowing the TV and the music they listen to to train their thoughts and to train their philosophy of life, then you are losing the battle already. If you fill your children up with the Word of God, you won't have to battle them to come to church. If they see the work of God in their life, you won't have to battle them in these areas. Don't let them fall in love with the world. Bring them to a knowledge of the Word of God so they can rebuke that temptation when it comes around. It's what Jesus did. Every time he was tempted, it is written, it is written, it is written. How many of you are glad God is on our side? He's for you if you'll know his will, if you'll know his word. He gave the disciples the words they needed in the moments that they were tempted, and he'll give us the word that we need if we know it, if we're learning it, if we're memorizing it, when we need it as well. If we're going to have victory over temptation, we need to know the word of God. Hey, can, can I share something with you? It's this scary thought. You better know the word of God because Satan sure knows the word of God. You better know the word of God because Satan sure does know the word of God. Notice, as Satan tries to convince Jesus to succumb to temptation by using the word of God. Verse number 10, here's Satan speaking. Hey, reveal yourself as being the son of God. Show your power. Call on the angels. Your word says it, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. How many of you know that Satan is actively using God's word in the world today? He's using it through false teachers. He's using it through false pulpits. He's using it through false churches actively today, deceiving and ensnaring people away from the truth of God's word. It's a very dangerous position to be in with Satan knowing God's word real well and Christians not knowing God's word hardly at all. Isn't it comical many times when people who get up, especially in public life, start quoting scripture inaccurately? <laughs> like to push their agenda or to talk about something they're trying to promote. Don't tell me that Satan doesn't know where these verses are and that he doesn't know how to twist them and contort them and use them to deceive people and even give them a false sense of spiritual okay behind it. We need to know the word of God. It's how we have victory over temptation. Be filled with the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Know the word of God. You can't be lazy about this. You can't be lazy about this. How many of you understand Christians have gotten lazy with the word of God? We need to be convicted about that. You know, we could experience real revival if we get serious about the Word of God again. The thing that's holding us back from really being on fire for God is knowing the Word of God, having victory in our life over temptation, having an understanding of how to use God's Word and apply it to our life. We need to be serious. We're getting serious about it here at church. We're, we're launching this year into new discipleship opportunities opportunities for parents, opportunities for those who are grieving, opportunities 
for men and for women to come together to learn God's word, to know how to handle it, to know how to share it, to know how to engage it in their lives and in their family. Hey, we need to stop being a church culture in our world today of constantly needing to be entertained. Entertain me, entertain my kids, or we're not coming to church. We want to be a church where people can come and actually learn the word of God and apply it in their life. That'll go a lot further than they need entertainment. And we need to get on fire concerning that. The devil is having a heyday in Christian homes today. He's having a heyday in Christian lives today. Many men, hey, there are many men all over, all over. I talk with pastors all the time. Can't get men to serve in this area. Can't get men to serve in this, this particular avenue of ministry. Can't get in. I'm, I'm glad for the faithfulness we have in our church. How many of you understand? It's not that way everywhere. But men are struggling today because they're so caught up in the loss of the flesh and the lust of the eyes that they don't have the power of the Spirit of God where they feel they can respond to the call of God in important ways in the church. Where, where there's needs for deacons and there's need for leaders and there's need for pastors to go plant churches. There's need for more missionaries to be sent out. But they're so bound up in this battle of temptation in their life that they just don't have the freedom or the spiritual fortitude to stand up and stand in their place and to lead their home, to lead their kids and to lead in a church. And I know it's hard. Hey, don't you feel or figure that I go through the same battles that everybody else in this room goes through? How many of you will pray for me and I'll pray for you? But I'm glad we've got Jesus praying for us as well. And he's at the right hand of God. And he wants us to be victorious over temptation. And we can do it if we're filled with the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, and we know the Word of God.